Welcome to Inside College Admission. My name is Peter Van Buskirk, and today I'm joined by good friend Lance Dronkers, who is the Director of College Partnerships and an academic and college advisor with the Mastery Charter Schools in Philadelphia. Welcome, Lance. Thanks, Peter. It's great to be here. Today we're going to talk a lot about the college process, and this time of the year, obviously, we're working through applications for admission and early decision, but a lot of families are also beginning to see the realities of cost and affordability and, and financial aid, and, and I'd like to really delve into your thought process about how families should be thinking about and talking about those things, but before we do, I'm wondering if you could kind of give us an overview of, of Mastery Charter. Sure. Uh, the, the sort of the demographics and, and the, the postgraduate plans of, those, of the students you serve. Well, for the purposes of who our audience is, I'll say that we have many elementary and middle schools, but we have seven high schools. Six of them are in Philadelphia and one is in Camden, New Jersey. I think at the beginning of Mastery, we shared a goal, much like a lot of other high-performing charter management organizations, a four-year college for everybody. Mm -hmm. And we've actually shifted in the past couple of years to have a multiple pathway approach. We talk to students about, are you going into some workforce readiness program? We do talk about the military, two-year colleges, vocational technical colleges, and then four-year colleges. So what percentage of your, your kids then will go off to two-year or four-year college? Of the seven campuses we have, I'd say it's somewhere between 40 and 50% going to a four-year and about 10 to 20% going to a, a two-year. Mm -hmm. So uh, you have a, a, a pretty good percentage of students who are of first-generation background coming into the college process then? Yeah, we have probably 90% of our students, plus or minus 5% at any given campus. Mm -hmm. Many of our students are first-generation. Wow. And so you have a big job then, because if they're first-generation coming into the college process, they're not bringing a lot of understanding or expectations. So you, you, you got to build it from the, the bottom up, I guess. They're not. I mean, on, on the flip of that, we do have families because they've not had, you know, college going experience until their son or daughter wants to apply. Many are open to the process and are really asking lots of good questions and taking feedback really well. I think sometimes there's a lot of myths out there about how college works and how financial aid works. Sure. And I feel like those things happen both with families that their parents have gone to college and they're using their college experience to kind of guide Right. And then there's a lot of families that still, I think there's just a lot of myths about financial aid and how it works. Wow. Well, and I guess one further question before we dive more into financial aid, but given the somewhat uninitiated nature of your populations, how are your families responding to the college process as COVID has hit it? I mean, I would imagine there, there's nervousness regarding the college planning process, irrespective of the COVID circumstance, but now we have this pandemic overlay. How has that affected the, the uh, excitement of your families with regard to college planning? I think last year was tough, right? Mm -hmm. Because students couldn't visit any college campuses except for virtually. Um, colleges were putting together virtual programs that looked exactly the same as all the other ones. So students couldn't differentiate between the colleges. We still had really good success of sending students to four-year and two-year colleges because I think students and families just were like, well, we're just going to have to trust that this is okay. Now that colleges are opening up with tours again, 
I think there is an excitement again about like college visits. I think for our community, as I'm assuming with other communities, the vaccination status is, mm. is an issue, right? Like some of our students, their families have chosen not to be vaccinated for a variety of reasons. And we're trying to create a neutral message of that is your decision, but you may not be able to have in-person education at the colleges that you're thinking of applying to and hopefully get into. Right. So it's, it's a, a limiting decision if you go that direction. Yeah. I also think in not this year's graduating class, but next year's graduating class is going to be difficult. And when we're thinking of our students, the students that I work with, they were working 40 to 60 hours <laughs> during yeah. the okay. pandemic because everything was online and they had the ability to work a lot. Um, and some of them were working because a parent or a family member lost their job during COVID. But now we're gonna have students, well, that they have to you know, do their taxes, they'll have to submit taxes. And the prior, prior year of that tax return is potentially going to affect how smoothly the FAFSA financial aid process is going to be for them. So we're a little, I'm a little nervous about next year's graduating class because we may see EFCs changed a lot for a family where, you know, their, their older siblings, it was pretty like easy and steady in terms of filling out the FAFSA. Wow. Well, this is a good segue to the, the question at hand. And that is, you know, how, how do you approach the, the mastery charter population in the conversation about cost and affordability? Because I'm, I'm sure that that's one of the first things that's going to be brought up in any conversation you have, but, but how, how do you, how do you get people to feel like, okay, yes, college is a worthwhile ambition and yes, you can manage the cost and it will be affordable. How does that work for you guys? I will say that we do not start the conversation early enough at Mastery, right? Oh. Mm -hmm. um, we would love to start it in the ninth grade mm -hmm. <laughs> and just explaining how the financial aid process works, but also just reminding parents now more than ever um, is important to just download your tax transcript save all that information so that once you're, you know, supporting through college gets to their senior year, the FAFSA and the CSS profile applications will be that much easier and smoother. We have a lot of parents who all of a sudden they didn't file their taxes. And so, you know, we have to tell them like you, your daughter won't get any financial aid until your tax return is, is finished. So that's already a huge stumbling block for some of our families. It's not even like talking about the nuts and bolts of how financial aid works. Once you get admitted, it really is just like, how do we complete FAFSA and CSS profile? And, and for the record, uh, those of you who are listening, the FAFSA is the free application for federal student aid, a federal document that, that determines the student's eligibility for grants and loans administered by the federal government and also for, for student work-study opportunities while on campuses. The, the profile that Lance is referring to is the College Scholarship Service Profile, uh, also designed to help figure out what the family's expected family contribution would be. And I would imagine that, that <laughs> the FAFSA is a challenge enough to get people to complete, but that profile is a very different animal, isn't it? For some of our families, um, I just tell them, you're just going to be putting a lot of zeros, right? Like you don't own a farm. 
you know, you don't have multiple homes potentially, but it's just a longer process. It's more intrusive. And mm -hmm. I do find with a lot of our families, you know, actually with all families, I think no matter what cultural background you come from, parents don't typically have very transparent conversations with their children about the household finances. And so now this is the first time that a parent is now having to be transparent about what you know income is coming in while they're completing this with, with their child. So the first step that I always tell students is just asking them like, what messages have your, has your family told you about how you're gonna pay for college? I understand that they want you to go to college, but any sense of like how much you think they have saved or how they're gonna do this. And then when a student says, um, well, my parents just say they'll make it happen once I get in, I know that there's, there's uh -oh. going to be a thorny and long road ahead of me because, and for the college advisors that I work with, because it means that the family, the family may have a lot of assumptions or hasn't really thought about it yet. They don't necessarily want to kill a student's dream about going to their dream college. And so the work that we do at Mastery is trying to explain to students and to their families, we're not killing your dream of going to your dream college. The dream is to go to a two or four year college. That's what we want. And so we want you to have multiple options because we know a little more than maybe y'all do around how this financial aid process works. And you know, if we've had a long relationship with a family in our charter network, we can start to already guess where the obstacles are going to happen for our students and our families. It sounds to me like you, you have willing students with regard to college and higher education and, and very able students uh, for that matter, and a, a real mix uh, in their family situations of, of families that might have some resource, may, maybe some have great resources and some have none at all. What's a good tact for you when it comes to meeting a family for the first time and, and knowing that dollar signs are probably standing between them and their kids' education? Yeah, I find for the work that I've done with the families that I work with at Mastery, there's two huge myths that I, I've learned over the past like seven years working with Mastery. And so I just start off with saying like, you know, I just want you to know that it's very rare that students, a lot of students will win enough outside scholarship dollars to cover the gap, right? A lot of parents will say like, well, if you want to go to this college and this is the gap, you're going to have to apply for scholarships, right? And students assume that there's a lot of scholarship money out there. And so a lot of the work that, a lot of the messaging we give to students is the types of scholarships that are available to students that could cover a large gap those are students who probably could get into a full need, highly selective college to begin with. It's the same band of students that are able to win all the scholarship dollars. And so the scholarships that let's say a B student, right, who's taking some rigor, mm -hmm. like you could potentially win scholarships that would help pay for books, like local scholarships, mm -hmm. small scholarships, less competitive scholarships. Those scholarship dollars are out there but it's not gonna cover a gap of 17 or $13,000. And so just trying to make students aware of how the gap works. So one of the things I do with students and we're doing it right now in our senior seminar class is I have them practice using an EFC 
and the percentage of need met that is listed on um, you know, websites like Big Future. Mm -hmm. And then once they know the direct cost, I'm like, if you know the EFC, the direct cost and the percentage of need met by this college, you could probably find out what your minimum bill is going to be for direct cost, right? Which is tuition, um, housing, and food. And then, you know, tack on another, you know, a thousand or three thousand for indirect cost, depending on how far close the college is, or depending on whether you're a STEM major. And so those textbooks and you know, e-fees, you know, electronic fees are going to be high. But if you're an English major, maybe you can get by with, you know, a natty copy of some novel that's used. So, but we want students to understand this is how much this college will cost minimally for you to attend. So when they show the college list to their families, those families have an understanding of like what the cost is going to be. The second myth is then when the family looks at a college and if there is indeed a gap and there typically is, they'll assume that the student can take out a loan for whatever that gap is. And so I have to explain the difference between the student loan and the plus loan and that the student loan is already, right? It's already combined into the financial aid award that a college is giving that includes the scholarships and grants. And, and with our students, a lot of them are eligible for Pell. And so the student cannot take out this loan. So I stay many times a week to students and families. Students, you are only allowed to get $5,500 in student loans. That is the cutoff, right? Um, again, right, like if- no, is that, 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 That's your rule, right? That's like my, I'm like, loans are part of your financial aid. So we definitely talk about debt and we talk about healthy debt. I think that debt isn't necessarily bad because it, one, it can make college possible. And two, I like it when students have some skin in the game, right? Like if you're missing these classes, you're going to have to pay this loan That's back right. anyway. That's so right. you might as well, you know, go to school, go to class. Exactly. <laughs> You've referenced a couple of terms here. I want to make sure that the listeners understand uh, clearly as well. Uh, you referenced the EFC, which is the expected family contribution, so that when we talked about the FAFSA, the free application for federal student aid, and we talked about the college scholarship service profile, both of those are forms that families need to complete in order to determine what their expected family contribution will be, that EFC. And, and it's a whole other conversation. It would be really great if those two methods arrived at the same number, but they rarely do. They rarely do not. That's right. So the other concept that you referenced is the gap, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're alluding to the difference between what that expected family contribution is going to be and then the total cost of attendance, which is another term for that might be the demonstrated need for the family. Correct. And the colleges will often cobble together different resources to help meet that need, but the gap could really be a problem if they don't cobble together enough resources so the family ends up having to find additional money beyond their expected family contribution, which gets to be problematic. I think there's a lot of us who've been doing this work for a while and who work with communities similar as I'm working with mm -hmm. that we kind of have memorized in our head who are the colleges that meet between 95 and 100% need. Mm -hmm. It's not a large list. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in America, unless you count community colleges at a certain rate. Like, and we always, I 
always add community colleges to my students list because I'm like, if you cannot afford the college that you want to go to, you know, we make sure that students include Community College of Philadelphia on their FAFSA immediately. Um, so that if they have to go to community college and sort of figure things out or do a two year at a at a community or junior college and then transfer to a four year, at least the FAFSA is complete so they can kind of get into the community college system a little quicker versus like in August when all of a sudden the family realizes we cannot come up with this gap, we cannot pay it um, yeah. and telling the students at the last minute, unfortunately, we can't support you financially for this college. And now the student is just clamoring to find, yeah, to find some sort of other alternative. And so we've it's a new rule that we've instated at Mastery, like all students who are on a two or four year college pathway must include Community College of Philadelphia in their FAFSA because it, it we know that for a for a percentage of our students that's going to be a reality for them. And we just wanna make it a, a lot smoother when a family understands how all this works and that maybe the four-year college that they wanted to go to or send their child wasn't gonna happen, we can quickly move to um, plan B. Speaking of, of, of differentiating costs, I think one of the assumptions that a lot of families have about colleges is that state universities cost less than private colleges, which is true. And, and if you don't need any financial assistance, then that extra cost is gonna be borne by the family. However, the further assumption is that it won't cost me as much to go to a state university as it will to be a private college. And that there's an error and assumption there if the student is actually eligible for financial aid. Could, could you elaborate on that a little bit? Sure, and it's funny, you know, Peter, I know that you and I live in a state that has a large public university system mm -hmm. and yet its financial aid is not robust, right? Like we have one of the most expensive public university systems mm -hmm. in the nation. And so we try to make sure that families do not look at the sticker price of the college, but that they're looking at how much financial aid mm -hmm. do they give. And so that's why I have students find, right? How much the college would cost them uh, based on percentage of need met because will say, oh, $70,000, that's too much, right, for a highly selective school. And then when I find out their EFC is $1,200, I'm like, out of pocket, this college will cost you $1,200, right? right. Meanwhile, a public university in, in Pennsylvania, like Westchester or Millersville or Kutztown, right, because they give around, you know, anywhere between 50 and 60% of demonstrated need, even though the sticker price for that college will look a lot less, right? Like a third or a half less, it ends up costing our families more. So we've learned at Mastery that a family who has an EFC of zero, meaning like after they filled out FAFSA, mm -hmm. the formula that the federal government came up with said, this family doesn't have any monetary resources to provide to the students for your education. Right public universities will cost still between seven and $11,000. Mm -hmm. And so families still, there's still this myth of, if you apply in state, it will be cheaper. And I would say like, possibly, it depends on the state that you're living in. Mm -hmm. And sometimes parents ask me like, what can I do? And I'm like, well, it's too late. You should have moved to another state with the better, 
with a better public university system with better financial aid, right? Like eight years ago, because right now, this is how much public universities are costing in Pennsylvania. The other myth that a lot of my parents get confused with is in-state is cheaper. Mm-hmm. Or they'll tell their child, you must stay in state. And so I need to figure out, is that because a parent does not want their child to go too far, right? Or is it about tuition? And so sometimes I'll have par- I'll ask parents like, so you're okay with your child going to the University of Pittsburgh, which is on the other side, right, of our state from Philadelphia, but that some, a private college in Delaware is not, right, going to be on your list because it's not in-state, right? And so breaking up that myth of like, why in-state um, tuition is lower, right, because of tax dollars that that they've all been paying. But again, it's not necessarily the most affordable track, depending again on what state you're in. But here in, in Pennsylvania, you know, it, it is mind blowing to parents to realize that like, um, I had a student who went to the College of Worcester and his gap was only $5,000. Even though Worcester's price tag for direct cost tuition um, room and board was radically more expensive than any of the public universities. This is College of Worcester in Ohio. So you're talking about Pennsylvania. Right, right. Now, uh, as as we kind of uh, bring things around toward the the finish line here, what is a good timeline for families in terms of preparing the financial aid? My experience is that a lot of families put it off, put it off because it's, especially if it's the first time they've done it, it's it's rather uh, cumbersome and daunting. But what do you try to do with, with families of seniors, for example, in, in terms of getting application process? All of our seniors actually go through a junior seminar course at our charter network. So probably around third or fourth marking period, our college coordinators start to talk about FAFSA, EFC, financial aid, um, affordability. Mm-hmm. Since we've been doing this, I have found just anecdotally in working with some of our seniors that there are more seniors now who seem to be open to the idea of a two and two, right? Community college and then transfer to four year, which Mm -hmm. makes me think like they are listening to this message of affordability. Mm -hmm. Um, We do tell parents that they need to get stuff ready before the the summer before their student becomes a senior just start gathering all that paperwork. Or if you have lost it and you can't use the IRS retrieval tool, then you just want to have backups and copies. Like go get a, you know, get a copy of your tax transcript. Also, we talk to students, we talk to families and students about the verification process. So sometimes when our students complete the FAFSA, there will be a little asterisk next to their EFC number, which means like, you know, the families need to just make sure that they're providing documentation to the college that's asking for the financial aid information to verify their FAFSA information. And we know, and there have been studies that shown like students with lower EFCs are typically flagged for verification more often. So it's something that we're constantly having to remind students about. I just had one student, she had her son um, about four months ago. Okay. And so as I expected, right, like she applied as an independent student and uh, I was like, she's probably going to be verified, right? Like this is very yeah. career. Yeah. Yeah. And so she texted me slightly panicked, like, what do these messages mean? I'm like, no, I, I suspected this was going to happen. 
you know, you just need to get a copy of your son's birth certificate, right? Like they just want to know, are you indeed a, an independent student or are you a student whose parent is not wanting to turn their tax information in? Right. So you're claiming independent student status, but maybe you're not. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting stuff. Now we're also getting well enough into the year where students are gaining admission to colleges and starting to get financial aid awards. Hopefully that financial aid award letter spells things out clearly and and the family looks at the numbers and say, okay, this is what we expected. We can work with this. Sometimes it doesn't work that way. Uh, And, 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 you know, sometimes the the financial aid award letters are not very clear. (laughs) They're very confusing. Exactly. So, so what should a family do if, if they're in possession of an offer of admission and an offer of financial aid in that financial aid award letter? And, and it just, it looks like Greek to them. They just don't know how to understand what they're looking at, or maybe they feel like that their expected family contribution at EFC is much higher than they anticipated. Do they have any recourse? Well, I don't know about recourse, but what they can do to just, if, if the financial aid award is confusing, for all, you know, since the college advisors at Mastery are trained in how to read financial aid award letters and really figure out what the actual cost is going to be because mm-hmm. sometimes it's very confusing like a, I know of a couple of colleges that will put the plus loan as like an award right so it looks like the student is getting a scholarship and like that is the loan that your mm-hmm. parents have to take out so we can translate that for them I think if you if you have if you're at a high school where the college advisor is not accessible or is not trained in financial aid, most college advisors are really great at knowing what colleges to go to for academic fit and social fit, but maybe not financially, call the college, right, that they that they got the financial aid package from and ask, what is my bill going to be in order for my like, what's the bottom line? right? Because it can be confusing. And then the second question I would ask is, how many loans are in this financial aid? Is there a student loan or is there also a parent loan? And that will tell, I think, a parent, um, like some, like if there are any red flags, like, oh, okay, I wasn't reading this correctly. Where is the loan that I'm supposed to take out, right? Like, or what is the minimum amount that I need to pay in order for my son or daughter to show up on campus, register for classes and move into the dorms? Well, it's interesting that you say that a number of years ago, I had occasion to see some financial aid award letters that had been sent to another first gen to to college student. And the initial expected family contribution was $5,000 one institution provided a financial aid award that seemed to be covering all costs. If, if you didn't look at the breakout of, of all the elements of the financial aid award, uh, you thought, well, this is a full ride. And then when we parsed it out, we saw the guaranteed student loan and a supplemental and also a, a Perkins loan. And then and something that was called in the financial aid award letter, an institutional financing option. Yeah. For the, for the student, in the student's name, $15,000 for the first year. So when when we broke all this out, we realized that the exposure to the family financially was going to be about $25,000 for the first year. And this was a school that claimed to meet 100% of the need. So um, I think what you're describing here in terms of the awkwardness and the lack of transparency in financial aid awards is something that can be very challenging to any family, let alone families that have never been through this before. 
it's really confusing. I'm constantly reminding students that work study is not a, something that is supposed to be used to pay off direct cost. Right. And then I called one college financial aid office and I was arguing with their financial aid counselor because they were saying, no, the work study should pay off the tuition. And I was like, no, can I, I need to speak to somebody else. <laughs> like this, this is not true. Also, I have found some really good trusting relationships and friendships with some financial aid officers at highly selective colleges. And so they will disclose as long as the student is there with me on like a phone, what the CSS profile institutional EFC was. Right. right. So, and then I was like, oh, how did you, because it's $2,000 more than the FAFSA, than the yeah. federal one. How did you come up with it? And they've been pretty transparent and it's been really helpful to parents yeah. to hear this information. Well, and then I'm glad you mentioned that because the, if there's only a $2,000 differential between what the family sees with the FAFSA and what emerges from the profile, they're lucky. There can yeah. be a $15,000 differential, and, and that can be quite a shock to a family, especially a family that has a very low expected family contribution. One of my favorite colleges in central Pennsylvania, what they do on their financial aid, and I know that they're being helpful, but I always have to remind students it is full need. They will only give the subsidized portion of mm -hmm. the student loan, and then there will be a bill that really could be covered if their EFC is zero by the uh, unsubsidized part. Right, right, and right. so the college is kind of sending a message like, could you pay this and not incur any interest debt while you're in school? And so I'll have a conversation with the families and I'm like, look, this is actually, this is gorgeous and beautiful. They're meeting hundred percent full need. If you do need to take out the unsubsidized loan portion, just call the admissions office, call the financial aid office and have them add it into your financial aid. But it's very, very confusing because I know that you aspire was trying to get Congress to pass something about like how financial aid mm -hmm. award letters should look the same across states, across institutions, because they are wildly different and wildly confusing. Right. Well, and, and this is again, why we have the conversation because for any family, regardless of the, the orientation to college over the generations, the, the whole cost affordability and financial aid process is very confusing. And as a result, they tend to push it off and, and, and wait until the last minute, which is not a good idea either, because oftentimes institutions dealing with last minute applications or last minute appeals might, might agree that, yes, you need assistance, but we don't have it anymore. So Lance, as, as we wrap things up, what advice would you offer to a family that, that is going into this process for the first time and in order for them to get to the end line with something that is satisfactory to the family? Sure. There are a lot of community-based organizations and colleges with really open and friendly financial aid people who can help you through this process. You just have to ask for help. And you don't even need to know what questions to ask. Like I have a lot of families who are like, I don't even know where to start. I'm like, just start with like whatever basic questions you have and I will try to answer them for you. And if I cannot, then I'll, I'll find the answer for you. But it would be great to start at the end of a student's junior year. So like toward, you know, April, May, June, going to the summer, just thinking about the financial aid piece. 
Most students are obsessed with the personal statements, with interviewing, with showing demonstrated interest. Those are all really great things for admissions. But our message to our students at Master is we want you to be able to go to a college that you can afford. We know that you can get into college. Yes. We know smart. But the competition is that out there is really, really fierce for the few schools that meet 100% need. And so if you are applying to schools that do not meet 100% need, let's figure out quickly what your family is willing to pay, what their EFC is. I always tell students, all your colleges are financial fits if your family is willing to fill out the PLUS loan. I think there's a lot of people who, and a lot of uh, CBOs and community charter management organizations that also are against the PLUS loan. But for me, I'm like, it is a family decision. And there are a few colleges out there that, I don't know, maybe they are worth the debt, mm -hmm. right? I, like, they could be amazing and fabulous. They have high graduation rates. They yeah. have high assistance rates. Their career centers are great. And so I don't know, but I'm not here to make decisions for families. I just need to make sure that you have all the information possible and that hopefully you have as many choices um, available to you as you can. And for some students, depending on their situation, if they're undocumented or a parent or um, for whatever the reason, like maybe you only have one option, mm. let's be excited about that, right? Like let's be excited about like your one option because higher education is important. Absolutely. This is great, Lance. And, and I think that if it take away nothing more, and certainly it take away a lot, but, but a, a bottom line here is that families need to be self-interested in this process and they, they can't, be, can't be shy about asking questions and making sure that they're well-informed. Thank you so much for taking some time from your, your busy schedule to share with us your perspectives on the financial aid process and, and, and how to engage the family conversation with regard to making college affordable. For those who are listening, I, I hope you listen to this podcast again and again, because there are a lot of little tidbits that you can pull out of this that, that you thought, well, gosh, I didn't hear it the first time. A lot of good information. Thank you again, Lance, and, and have a great day. All right. Take care, everybody. A special thanks to Peter Van Buskirk for joining us in this conversation today. If you want to hear more from Peter, you can find his content in the blog section of our website and on YouTube where his webinars and presentations are hosted. If you want to learn more about SCORE, go to SCORE.com. That's S-C-O-I-R.com. We'll link to that in the show notes and be sure to follow us on Instagram at Score Inc. That concludes our conversation today. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review this episode. Thanks so much for listening.